Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, and uh, welcome to the Core Daily. It's not a minute, it's just daily. Were you alive in 1993? Did you happen to be playing video games? Did you play your video games on a PC? Did you own a CD-ROM? Did you play role-playing games? If you answered yes to all those questions and somehow didn't play Betrayal at Krondor, what the hell is going on? You missed out. This game is a very special game to me, and June 22nd marked uh, the 30th anniversary. We're a few days behind. I think it's like June 28th now. Marked the uh, anniversary of this game, Betrayal at Krondor. 30 years and this game is special to me one because I loved playing it and played it a lot and was stuck on its puzzles a lot uh, because there was no internet at that time to look up the damn uh, answers and solutions to where to find things and I didn't have a hint book I don't even know if they made a hint book for that one but it was a Sierra game so it's possible um, but yeah Betrayal of Crondor an innovative game a very important game to computer role-playing history. Not the first to do it, obviously. Not the most robust, per se, but innovative in a lot of ways. Notably, Dynamics, I think, had was working on flight sims and things of that nature, and uh, had a 3D engine. And they had some people on their team who were looking to make a, leverage that technology in order to make a game. And... Uh, <laughs> And you have one of the first open-world 3D video games ever made, plus one of the first narratively focused, like, Bioware-style games. Like, if you think of Mass Effect and Dragon Age, uh, you have a party of up to three, and you're going through as characters playing the characters. You don't make your own character in this, but you role-play as the characters uh, in a story. It kind of has cutscenes, not really, um, but it, what it did have was uh, the actual fantasy fodder of the time story. <laughs> like, it was actually kind of a mini novella. Part text adventure, but the text was written in a style as what you would find in any of a plethora of paperbacks. And at that time, I was playing D&D, and I was reading Dragonlance, and if Dragonlance and Tolkien were big fantasy houses that I was into at that age, uh, Raymond E. Feist's um, Midkemia novels, the Rift War uh, saga, um, became a part of it. And you may have heard of this. Uh, the entry point is the original trilogy. The first book's often published as two, Magician Apprentice and Magician Master. And then you've got, um, I believe it's Silverthorn and A Darkness at Sethanon. Um, would be the trilogy. I'm pretty sure on those titles. Uh, but yeah, so these cats at Dynamics want to have a 3D engine. They want to make a role-playing game, and they want to do it well. And um, what they churned out was something I think never seen before in computer role-playing games, in that they had characters, a story, a 3D engine, 
turn-based combat on a grid with 3D <laughs> they were sprites uh, but 3D units kind of because um, this uh, 1993 was a year after Mortal Kombat and you know the photorealism of Mortal Kombat had just kind of taken place and one of the other major aesthetic tent poles of Betrayal of Krondor is um, the fact that they hired actors to dress up in fantasy gear and they somehow blended it in such a way that the hand-painted backdrops kind of mesh okay with the look of the giant moustaches of all the characters in this video game. Um, and most importantly, when uh, I started playing online games um, and I had to come up with an online handle that would stick with me for over 30 years now. Well, I guess it would be 30 years since the game was 30 years old. I didn't use that name before then. Uh, Gorath. And Gorath is a major character. In fact, he's on the box cover art. Uh, he's a major character in this game. And uh, he is an elf, Moredel, from the north who is at war with the human kingdoms and uh well he betrays them to come down and warn about an impending doom i forget most of the story if not all of it but i think it had something to do with the coming of an evil wizard named merman damas or merman damas or something like that um but anyways uh yeah this game released june 22nd 1993 predates elder scrolls 1 and final fantasy 3 it was the absolute most graphical fidelity you could ask out of a game it had a crazy ass story and um it just did so many things innovatively in a relatively bug-free package i mean i played it out of the box i never experienced a bug playing it that i can recall um, which is pretty incredible um, and this is, you know, we hear a lot about older games and how they're important. You never hear about Betrayal of Krondor. And I think a lot that has to do a lot with the dissolution of Sierra Online and, you know, Dynamics, I don't believe, is a company working, at least in video games, as far as I know. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's not really any marketing or franchises tied to it. There was, I think, a sequel, Betrayal of Antares, but I don't, I never played it. That kind of missed, I think. But uh, Betrayal at Krondor is a hugely important game and probably one of the top candidates of games to, for like a remaster. And when I say remaster, I don't mean, don't give me the 3D Dark Souls rendition or Square Enix version. FMVs, baby. Let's get some actors in there and let's, let's up the, let's up it like camp style, but still make it a fucking good game and you know it would be uh chef's kiss i can just i can just picture it uh, i don't know if it would do well in sales or be the kind of game people be into but i would love to see it however the old one is still kind of playable i mean the midi music doesn't i think hold up even though some of the tracks are good you'd love to see a real orchestra play it uh, or at least a real composer have a crack at it uh, updating the uh the uh digital instruments um and you know there's certainly a lot that can be done with the ui but uh in the 3d world especially i'm sure we could toss in a much better looking 3d world these days uh but most of all um what lasts would be just the great story there's a new chapter to read every interaction is written like a book and but it's not too much the way like divinity original sin 2 has a lot of text but it's terse um so too this game might be a little longer than terse but for the age it, i would consider it quite brief for a text-based kind of game 
Um, certainly it's got nothing on Disco Elysium, right? Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it was a departure point, that game. It was so different. The games, the role-playing games we were playing, I was playing at that time, but if you were playing them, you, you would be playing them too. It was like Ultima, and uh, I played a ton of Ultima 4 in particular, and um, uh, TSR, like silver gold box games, like I had the Beholder and Pool Radiance and stuff like that. Like, um uh, it, one in particular too there was a Dragonlance one that was terrible that I loved because I like playing Dragonlance and it's like this game just like blew expectations out of the water and the Super NES I think was out at that time Super NES couldn't handle a game like this this is why I had a PC for this freaking awesome adventure and um, it had turn based tactical combat uh, divinity style, no terrain and no things, but you moved your guy on a little chessboard, and then the enemies moved, and you had spells and attacks. Um, the skill system predates Elder Scrolls. In order to get better at something, you do it. It's one of the first systems I think that I've ever seen had really something like that. It had barding. Swoop into a town, hit the inn, need to earn some coin, bard bad at barding they'll boo you out but as you got better at barding you would earn money and earn more money and uh, you you know just like in many of these games you can get skill books and way, ways to boost up in addition to practicing to kit out your character for the full adventure um one of the first pretty much open world 3d rpgs uh, at that graphical fidelity with pre-made characters to form a plot and a story I think it's probably still pretty playable today. The graphics probably are rough, but overall the story and adventure is probably still a good one. And if you played that game, you'll remember no internet. And one of the things I used to bang my head on so much were the Morad Hell Warlock chests. And these were chests littered all throughout the kingdom uh, that were unreadable unless you had an elf in your party, which was Gorath, or a you had a wizard with a spell that could detect or comprehend languages and um uh yeah if you couldn't guess the riddle guess what you weren't opening the box there was no way around it i think i spent a whole afternoon once trying to figure out a damn riddle and you can try to brute force it by guessing all the combinations but some of them were pretty long combinations of words and i wasn't as clever about games as i am now so i you know I remember struggling with them quite a bit and feeling so satisfied when you finally figured out a riddle. Uh, it was pretty great. Um, this also featured uh, FMV, like uh, full motion, not full motion videos, like more like snapshots. They took photos of everything, but they had real actors dressed in the campiest fantasy gear. But you know what? It worked. At the time, it worked. I loved it. I, I didn't have a complaint about it. And I look at it now and I'm like, yeah, it's rough, but you know what? I love it. And um, uh, I forgot to mention at the top, but, uh, you know, there is, has been uh, one of the designers and producers, designer slash producers, Neil Halford guy on his YouTube channel, had a 30th anniversary reunion of devs that worked on the game. And I was, <laughs> and I guess I'm one of 300 people that it might have mattered to because I was shocked to find the views of this channel so low. And I'm going to show it here, and you should go, if you're interested or remember it, search it out, just even watch 10 minutes. Like, there's some fun stories, because uh, when I talk about the costumes, you had a theatrical coordinator who was just going out, handing out cards, and being like, do you want to come and, uh, you know, shoot some photos? It's not 
you won't be naked. You'll be dressed up. <laughs> like at that time, how many people were shooting photos for uh, role-playing games, right? Like, what a weird ask to the adult actors of that day that they were looking for. Um, yeah, no, it, the game had ambitious storytelling. I mean, it, it set itself, I think, in between the books of Darkness at Sethanon and um, Prince of the Blood, which was another book. I mean, Raymond E. Feist, I think, has pretty much spent his whole life writing the Mid-Kemia novels, and it's crazy how little of it there is in popular media. No Amazon show, no Netflix show, Disney's not, you know, who owns the IP? Who the frick knows? Like, I don't know. But he's written, like, a bajillion books. Like, you're here waiting for uh, George R.R. R. Martin, <laughs> whatever, George R. Martin, whatever, the Martin, George Martin, to write those books. Here you got a guy who, like, drops a book a week. There's a ton of these books. Now, they're kind of, I don't think they're going to age uh, quite as well. They're a little more young adult, but it's a fantasy world and they managed to make a really engaging game out of it. I'm sure you could make a great TV show out of this or, or movie or something. Uh, but anyways, this game had like armor and weapons, nice graphics for all of them. I remember even at, at, at that, my young age going like, this looks way better than other stuff. Like, like they actually got artists at the time to like draw compelling uh, you know, pieces of equipment you had to repair and arm. Um, you could be good at weaponsmithing or blacksmithing, so you could repair your armor and weapons. They had magical spells and magical schools. They had a day-night cycle, a rest period, um, the and the art like has a consistent aesthetic, and it is a long-ass adventure. There's tons to do here. Little tons of little villages had a full-blown map. And you might look at this map and go, eh. but at the time, this was a gorgeous map in which to track yourself on the map and see the towns and wonder, what's that over there? Do I ever get to go to that part of the map? And sometimes you're like, oh shit, there's a part of the map we do get to go to. And it was like mind blowing at the time. So, uh, man, I don't, I could, I could gush forever about this game, but really it's a core daily. It's meant to be shorter. So, <laughs> you know, all I want to say is there's a great little 30th anniversary video that's out there. I don't know if the sale's still on, but I picked up Betrayal at Crondor and Betrayal and Antares, a good old game. Betrayal and, and, and Terra's, I think it's called, um, uh, for like five bucks or something on sale at good old, or good old games. GOG. God, I just call it God. I forget what the actual name of the, <laughs> of the website is. Uh, good old games. Yeah, I think so. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of got me like, oh, maybe I should go back and read the Feist novels. And for those, if you just want a little TLDR on the fiction, it's basically the first two books are kind of slow. Um, this is a commonly held regarded fact because he wrote it first in his career, but, um, basically in the seventies, um, and there's a funky, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to clip it, but there's a funky little interview with Feist that's probably on the CD-ROM that is so low res, but explains all this. It's really great. You, you, you owe it to yourself to maybe uh, Google search it and watch that. But he was playing war games, D&D, like in the 70s and started writing the books in the 80s and 90s. And he's been doing it ever since. I think he's still around. He's still kicking and he's still putting out those books. Um, based on, you know, we have shows like Expanse and, and like Critical Role that have things based on their campaigns. This guy's like one of the first to do it and to do it prolifically, like almost like it's insane the number of books. But anyways, Magician, Apprentice and Master is a story of these, it's Pug and Thomas 
can't remember what their relations are. They may just be growing up in the same kingdom. I forget the Thomas storyline, but his is rough. And Pug is, is going to become a magician. Um, and at the same time, you're in this fantasy world. There is a rift that opens up between two worlds. And the Saran, I think it's the Serenai? Serenai? Um, a, a rift opens to another kingdom. And this is like an Asian-inspired kingdom. Uh, and they both consider each other hostile, so they're at war because of these gates that have opened up. And then, um, you know, it also results in a big plot and death and all that kind of stuff, which leads up to um, events that happen in Betrayal at Crondor. And then after that sort of series of books, um, Feist did go on with uh, Feist did go on to write with an author named Janny Wirtz a whole trilogy based on this Asian Serenai, um culture so it isn't kind of like this otherization like Asian invaders it's like two different kingdoms so then he spends a trilogy of books talking about that kingdom and what it was like the Rift War from that perspective and then we come back and uh, continue the adventures in the King's Buccaneer and like the list goes on and on there's a tons of books including eventually he novelized the Betrayal at Crondor and the book is called Crondor the Betrayal book one in a trilogy following the story of Gorath, Owen, Locklear, and James, uh, as well as others involved in the story, um, through that trilogy. And I think there's like 15 more trilogies after that. I mean, I'm not sure if they're all set in Midkemia or not, but generally speaking, there is a ton of books, and I, what I do remember in the books is they're a brief read. You're not, you know, this isn't re picking up Game of Thrones and going, oof. You know, I think you can crack out a novel in a weekend kind of thing. They're pretty light reading. And I remember enjoying them a lot as a young adult. And um, anyways, 30 years, man. I think I might try to give this game a playthrough. I didn't buy it for some reason. But uh, seeing a, a lot of the old screenshots, hearing a lot of the old music has got me nostalgic. It just got me feeling like this game's gotten short shift in the, in the halls of gaming. It is a... Hall of Famer. I think it's an inductee in the Gaming Hall of Fame, and it does make some top lists, although in recent years, maybe it's gotten forgotten and knocked off with so many other fancy, flashy games, but uh, one thing that games have not tried since this game, except for a few CRPGs like Disco Elysium, is the inclusion of pretty good amount of reading, and um, I would say that would be successful today with some voice acting, too, in particular. Um... I would love to see a remake or just another game in that style and in the world of Midkemia. Uh, but uh, for now, we have the one game. We're going to ignore Betrayal and Enteras because I'm just too scared to try it. It doesn't. I don't know, man. I really just don't know. Betrayal at Crondor is the complete package and was the game of the year in 1993 and still remains uh, a game of my lifetime as well. Anyways, uh, I'll include some links in the description, and uh, also there's this thing to watch. And then uh, a gnome bursts open the door and says, Captain, we're under attack! <laughs> <laughs> Captain, we're under attack! We're under attack! <laughs>